Welcome, everybody. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. And we're ready to go for draft season. First draft podcast back. I'm Mel Kuyper Jr. doing something I never do and I've never done is host anything. But I'm here because the true host I'm going to introduce. Chris Sproul has moved on. Great friend of ours. Did a great job. Field Yates. Welcome to the show, Field. You know, is expert opinion on NFL Live and all the various platforms at ESPN. Todd, Todd, Todd is back to give me grief again about everything I say and do. But Field, welcome to the show and take it away, my friend. Hey, well, I, first of all, it's a real honor to be on with the two people that everybody thinks of the NFL draft. They think of Todd and Mel. They, of course, think of you guys from your many, many years of great wisdom and brilliance and evaluations. And of course, the banter between the two of you. And first of all, Chris Brown, also a great friend and uh, big shoes to fill here. So wishing him well in his newest endeavors. I was thinking about this, though, is that taking over for Chris Brown, I have one goal. I'm just trying not to be the Dolphins' replacement plan for Dan Marino. Longest streak <laughs> without a Pro Bowl quarterback in the NFL. Don't mess it up, man. Years. Don't mess it up. That's right, Todd. So all I'm trying to do, I'm just trying to keep the boat afloat here. So very much looking forward to being uh, here with both of you. Uh, Todd, we have actually joining us. You're, you're down somewhere. You're getting ready for a game. There's like a kind of a big game coming up, right? Well, I'm in Dallas right now, just coming off of, of the semifinal game. And I'm I'm heading back tomorrow, and doing the um, the national championship mega cast from home in Nantucket, where you also live. And I'm trying to get Kuiper to come on with me, but we'll uh, we'll work that out later. Okay, you guys, you guys can negotiate that one after the podcast. <laughs> First, I've heard of it, but that's okay. Yeah, well, don't worry about it. Man. You don't you don't need preparation. You know, Alabama and Ohio State backwards oh, yeah. and forwards. Uh, a couple of housekeeping notes for those uh, less familiar with the podcast. Uh, it's going to be out every Tuesday around 4 p.m. Eastern time. So get used to this sort of cadence each week, and we're going to run obviously all the way through the draft. Coming up on today's show. We're going to start big. We're going to have a big, wide zoom lens here. We're going to talk about the number one overall pick, the number two overall pick. We have the first what, 17, 18 picks in the 2021 NFL draft order with the remaining 14 to be determined based off how the NFL playoffs play out. The Jaguars are on the clock. Uh, but before we get into some of those conversations, and there will be plenty more conversation throughout the next few months, this is a different year. Not that I need to remind anybody about that. We have flipped the calendar to 2021. But from an evaluation standpoint, Mel, I'll start with you. The fact that we have not had uh, every player and every roster playing with opt-outs and the fact that we have not had fans at stadiums and some teams have barely played or not played at all this year, how has the evaluation process been different for you during this 2020 and now 2021 season compared to every other year doing this? I would say be careful would be two words, and be careful for a couple reasons. No crowd noise means life easier for quarterbacks. Todd and I have discussed that. Interruption of the season negatively affected some players more than others. Lack of continuity, lack of consistency with routines and preparation, game preparation changing, all those things out of whack, out of kilter. So I think you look at uh, you know the body of work is lacking for some guys. Trey Lance, North Dakota State, plays one game. Dylan Ratton's offensive tackle, one game. You had the opt-outs, business decisions more so than quitting on your team. I'm more business decisions for those guys. But certainly if Devontae Smith has a great year, Jamar Chase opts out. Business decision, but allows maybe Devontae Smith to move ahead. So I think everybody's going to be different. All snowflakes are different. All these evaluations are going to be different, Todd. I just think be careful. Don't move guys up too much. Don't drop guys too much based on this particular season. So hard, I mean, you've been doing it a lot, a lot longer than I have. <laughs> but it, it is the hardest year 
of evaluation that I've, I've ever been around. You know, I've been doing it almost 20 years now. And to have four games for some players, to have Trey Lance with one game, you know, this the strangest game that I've, I've ever seen. And the tr- try to evaluate him and compare him to to Justin Fields and to Trevor Lawrence and, you know, to all these other quarterbacks. It's It's been brutal, but it's um, – I kind of I, I go I, I go off of what Nick Saban says. Like, di- <laughs> I I love the quote. Dinosaurs are no longer around because they didn't adapt. Mm-hmm. You've got to adapt, <laughs> and and that basically is kind of how I'm, I'm I'm approaching this draft process. Todd, you obviously have been traveling throughout the fall. Uh, obviously, part of one of our broadcast crews here on the college football side at ESPN and. It certainly looks different on TV, but then again, when you're listening to two broadcasters and a sideline reporter and maybe a potential crowd noise and camera work can make it feel like kind of what it has been in the past, but how different has it been this year from an energy standpoint, from an atmosphere standpoint? Has it felt like you're watching a different sport from the sideline this season? Uh, it, 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 it completely has varied from week to week. Where you know some places it's 500 people allowed in the stadium, some places it's they say 20,000 and it looks like 45. Yeah, you know, so it really has varied. But the thing I've been most impressed by is the fact that these 18 to 22 year olds are handling it better than all of us adults. Mm. You know, like all of us 40, 40 plus. They, they, the social injustice. COVID, everything that's gone on in the last year, sitting down and meeting with them and listening to how mature they are, I've been really impressed. I really like Trevor Lawrence to me, just the way he handles himself and the, and, and the, just the maturity that he's brought, considering what he was two, you know, two years earlier when he, he didn't want to take over the starting job because it, he didn't want to step on anyone's shoes and all that and just just seeing and hearing these guys and how they're carrying themselves and and then listening to a bunch of adults like again 40 plus people complaining about this and that and the other thing it's been really impressive they they just they they haven't been phased they've been so focused and i've been really impressed by the maturity i hesitate to say that trevor lawrence saved the college football season that's too strong of a categorization but I have little doubt that Trevor Lawrence being the face of the hashtag we want to play movement this offseason, I thought was influential to getting college games played. And while there was risks incurred and certainly there were game cancellations and game delays and some hurdles along the way, you know, we've made it. And I get it. Ohio State only played six games before making the college football playoff. But the fact that we're now one game left in the college football season and one that's been really enjoying, uh, enjoyful and also entertaining, certainly as a testament to all those involved. And let's get right and into And he something. was so relaxed, too. Like, yeah. I, before the first game of the year, they, they had uh, Clemson play Wake Forest. We had that game. He was sitting in his truck talking to, talking to me, Sean McDonough, Todd Blackledge, and our producer and director. And he was so relaxed about everything. I, that, that was the thing that impressed me the most, is that it, he just embraced it. You know, and he, he knows he's the face of college football. He knows that he's going to be the number one overall pick. He knows what's on the line. He didn't have to play. And I, I actually asked him this. I asked him 
point blank, did you think about opting out? Because so many other guys are opting out. And there's, you know, at that point, there were conferences, Pac-12, Big Ten, that were not going to play football. And he said, the second that the coach Sweeney told me that we had, we had a championship on the line, that I could win a championship, I was in. He's like, I did think about it, but the second I was told that we could win a championship, I was in. And then you look at all the other things that he did. Like, that's part of why he's so special. Yeah, and we'll certainly focus a ton on Trevor Lawrence over the next few months, the presumptive number one overall pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's get to some of the weekend takeaways. Uh, Friday night was not the only night of college football. There were a couple of games on Saturday as well. But Friday night's where I want to start, Mel. Uh, Justin Fields had had an uneven season, a very short one, but still uneven and playing sort of bad in two games for Ohio State that really mattered, Indiana and Northwestern. But he had the world abuzz on Friday evening when Ohio State faced Trevor Lawrence and Clemson, and he threw for six touchdowns, 385 yards. Now, I haven't been doing this forever, but I also have been doing this long enough to know that like one game should not define a player's evaluation. At the same time, I do feel like Friday night was sort of a reminder to the NFL. I may have been inconsistent, but my upside is tremendous. What ver- is that the real version of Justin Fields that we saw on Friday night? I'm not into hyperbole, as Todd knows. I never try to you know, exaggerate things ever in my 45 years of doing this. But I will say this, and I say that um, sarcastically, as Todd knows, because I tend to do yes, that once everyone. in a while, hey, we as, as we all know. But I think, this was the sing- I think this was the single biggest game for any prospect as long as I've been doing this wow. in terms of changing a narrative, changing a discussion. What will we be saying today had Justin Fields played like he did against Northwestern or Indiana. What are we saying now? And you say, okay, if you, if you were way down on him, you come back at least halfway. If you didn't move him, then you got him pretty far up there. So, again, this is going to be a polarizing prospect because it's very difficult after one season to put him up there, watch him against Northwestern and in Indiana, and still feel as strongly as you did. We're all human. We watched those two games. It's not a knee-jerk reaction. It's not an overreaction. He didn't look like the same quarterback. Then you see him on the biggest stage in a game where he gets hurt on that hit by Skowski, yet he guts it out, and he makes accurate throws and wins the game and puts up big points. That, to me, gave him a chance to move back up not maybe where he was, but close to it. So I, I think it solidified him as a quarterback who's going to go pretty high. How high is a lot, a lot of time between now and late April. But instead of being a quarterback that someone would have said second round, I don't think he's a starting quarterback. You know what would have been said had he played like he did in those two games I mentioned. But he didn't. He righted the ship. And, Todd, he had to. I think it was more pressure on him, and he responded to it, than any prospect I can remember for one single game. And I, I... – I love the fact that he competed, you know, and, and that's, that's really what I love about him. And when you, when you watch his best, it is elite. He's just, he gets stuck on some, some looks and progressions and we, we can get into all the details of, of Justin Fields, but I love the fact that he competed. And it reminded me a lot of, of, of Trevor Lawrence competing against Ohio State and, and knowing that he didn't have his fastball that day and starting to run in the, in the semifinal game, you know, he, he just, he found a way to make it happen. 
And, I mean, he's the first-round pick. There's no question. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the first quarterback off the board. I think there's a discussion between Zach Wilson from B, uh, BYU, Justin Fields from Ohio State, as we're talking about. But he's going in the first 20 picks. I've, I'm doing this mock draft right now. I'm, I'm literally looking on my computer at the, <laughs> at the first 17 picks, and I've got him at 15 to New England. And I, I, I thought about putting him a lot earlier, maybe number four to Atlanta. So That's we'll, where we'll I thought you would, Todd. That's the spot I thought. And I even talked about it today, and I didn't know. The field read me what you had there, and I wouldn't want to give anything <laughs> away uh, on what you have and what you don't have. But I didn't know it, and I asked Field, and he told me you know you had him at New England. But I thought Atlanta because of you know Matt Ryan's going to be 36 in May. You think there, maybe Detroit if you move Stafford. I thought top ten there. And we got we can't forget, this kid was unbelievable last year at six. 67%, 41-3. Even in the Clemson game, the champ in that semifinal game, that's not that interception in the end zone by Nolan Turner. Olave no. went to, said, "Hey, it's on me. That it's not on on yeah. a field." So uh, to me, to see him write that ship, like I said, and play the way he did, and coming out of high school, it was one and one a. It was Fields and Lawrence coming out of high school in Georgia, and some had Fields ahead of Lawrence, some had Lawrence ahead of Fields. It wasn't consensus there. So again, these two have been at it for a long time. I think Justin Fields took that challenge and said, "Boy." Boy, you know, it's it's me kind of against the world here, and you know we're the underdog, and here we are, and and uh, to to have that 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 level of pressure on him, and it didn't seem like he felt it, which I loved. It, no, it didn't seem he was didn't seem like he was aware of what we're talking about here, Todd. No, not at all, and and, and that's why I love him. I, I I love the way he competes, and I love the way Trevor compete, competes, and I love the way Zach Wilson competes, and I I think all three of them are worth top 10 picks. I really do. It's, it's just trying to find the right spot for them. And as yep. we know, uh, Todd, in your mock drafts, at least at the beginning of the pre-draft season, you're not including trades. So, you know, sometimes players that will go much higher slide down merely because, you know, if New England is sitting at 15, there's not a very good chance they're getting any of these top quarterback prospects. It may well require them to move the eight or six or something like that. Right. It's amazing. And the Jets are going to move out of two. I'm right. convinced of that. If they if they don't want Trevor, they're going to move out. Of, if they can't get Trevor, which they can't, yep. they're going to move out of two. Is my, is my guess. Well, they're that would be the pen, that would be pen, wouldn't up. that be Penny Sewell, Cincinnati well, at we'll five moves up to get bit, Sewell? Right? Yes. Well, yeah. let's let's hash out the Jets pick in just a little bit. We want to. We're going to get the first and the second pick today. Those two, obviously, we know not just uh, which teams are involved, but a general sense of what their direction will be. Just one last thought on uh, the ability of Justin Fields to improve his draft status. First of all, if he does it again against Alabama, then I think we're talking about that number two overall pick for a long time here. Um, and if he were like, if he were to go 15, just using last year's rookie pay scale, just perspective, if he went 15th, which you know, Todd is saying, even if I have him there, I think he's going higher. Last year, Jerry Judy's contract was worth $15.2 million, which, by the way, is an incredible amount of money. But still, if you were to have him go fourth overall, where Andrew Thomas went last year to the Giants, the contract value was $32.3 million. So we say there's literally millions on the line for Justin Fields based off how he plays. And let me just say this to Field real quick. Sure. This game 
I think isn't as pivotal because I don't think we expect him to be anywhere near 100%. To see that injury, to feel that injury, everybody felt it for Justin Fields. There's no way a week later you can feel good throwing the ball. And Alabama's going to get after you. Will Anderson, Barmore, they got inside-outside presence there. This is a different team, a different defense, different scheme. So I I don't think if Fields struggles here, I'm I'm not saying he will, but if he did, they're going to hold it against him like we would if we knew he was 100%. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's hit a couple of the Alabama and Ohio State guys who will, of course, be playing on Monday night. You know, one of my thoughts in watching Devontae Smith is his numbers, uh, and he has one more game to go, are not precisely identical to Jamar Chase, but they're darn close. Jamar Chase is LSU's, he was a junior this year, but he opted out of the season, won the Bolitnikoff a year ago after 20, 20, excuse me, 20 receiving touchdowns, uh, the SEC record. You think about all the great SEC wide receivers. I don't need to remind you of all of them, Julio Jones, hmm. and on and on and on. And then Jalen, and then Devontae Smith does it himself this year. He matches that production. But my question is, do we think because of the fact that, A, he's played like he has, and, B, Todd, the fact that he's just played, you know, Jamar Chase opting out, and then Jalen Waddell, who – has at least a chance to play on Monday night, but the other Alabama star wide receiver who's been out since October 24th because of an ankle injury, has he separated himself as the clear-cut wide receiver on your board right now? In, in my mind, yes. He, he's different. And, and I love Jamar Chase, and I think Jamar Chase is going to be a, a great pro. But Devontae, what he did this year with Waddle going out with the injury and stepping up and becoming the guy, in the biggest games, and I, I, I think he's Marvin Harrison. I th- that's the kind of player I think he is. And, I, and for anyone who doesn't know who Marvin Harrison is, he, he's you know a Hall of Fame wide receiver who had great instincts, a little bit slight, a little slender, but but just tough. Plays bigger than he is. Knows how to find the soft spots in zones. Knows how to set up routes. Knows how to take cornerbacks and make them embarrassed, you know, his ability to get in and out of breaks. It's, it's so impressive, especially watching him on the field in person, 
the way he competes and everything that he brings, the energy that he brings. Uh, to me, he's the number one wide receiver, and I, I would have no problem taking him in the top five. I tell you what, Mel, and obviously you remember Marvin incredibly well from his time at Syracuse and then all of his great years during a Hall of Fame uh, career with the Colts. If you just do a side-by-side picture and just did the jersey swap, like the, the build is actually sort of startling how similar. They both got the toothpick legs and like the narrow base and hips, and but they just, I mean, the production speaks for itself here. Do you see some Marvin Harrison in Devontae Smith as well? I was with Marvin at the Hula Bowl the year he came out wow. of Syracuse, and I was with him in the. I remember him coming into that locker room first day of practice, and you're in Hawaii, you know, it's relaxing, it's a vacation, it's the beach, it's get to the pool, get to the yeah, yeah. and he all he was all. About I can't football. imagine he, you relaxing or being at a pool. Never, never, <laughs> never, no. no get there, Mel. No, no, but Marvin wouldn't know part. Marvin wouldn't know part of any talk about the the little cruise that would be taking it tonight at seven o'clock. Sunset cruises. He didn't care about any of that. <laughs> He was all about football, and he came in there with that. And I know Bob Knight always said, no game face. But he looked like, hey, I'm ready. I want to have some big-time football here, and I'm going to showcase it. And he was there from day one to work. And he, had, he was a worker, and he was a baller, and that's what Devontae is. I think the same exact thing that Nick Saban loves about uh, Smith, that's what Paul Pasqualoni loved about Marvin Harrison. And uh, you know, I, I do see those similarities there. I think with the fact that Devontae was the last of the Fantastic Four standing, they still un- – uncoverable, speaks volumes of how good he is. The Georgia game, when he catches that pass from Tua to win it, every time you need a big play, he, he produces. I think to Miami, let's, let's put him back with Tua at Miami at pick number three. Yeah, I love the idea right there. Yeah. I, I keep thinking of the word slithery when I see Devontae Smith. He's obviously explosive as well, but it's like... I call him the splendid splinter, yeah, too. He He's not Ted Williams, because Ted Williams is the baseball version, always will be. The splendid splinter, too, is Devontae Smith. Last year was, remember last things. year it was C-D-Y-A-C Lamb? Yeah. <laughs> Remember CDYAC yeah. for yards? This is, this is the splendid splinter, Todd, and, and Field. One of my favorite things the last couple of years, being on the sideline going to games, is watching the competitiveness with the, the wide receivers. You have Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, you had Devontae Smith, uh, Waddle, you know, all those guys, they're always barking at each other. They sit in the same spot, and they're, they're just yelling at each other. And, and I've asked them. I've asked all of them, what, what are you guys doing? And, and, and they just, <laughs> each one of them says, I, I just, I, I expect him to do better. And, I, you know, I, I want him to do better. And I tell him what he did wrong. And they're always competing. And I, I, I think that's why they have had so much success. Obviously, the physical talent, but they are so competitive. That wide receiver room and sitting on the bench together during games it drives them crazy to do something wrong. And they point out every single thing that you do wrong. And I love that about them. Yeah, it's just absurd to think about the idea that last year they had Jerry Judy and also Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle at the same time. Ohio State has had many a good running back in their uh, program history, Todd. Trey Sermon, who spent just one year here in Columbus after spending the first uh, four years, three years of his career at Oklahoma, has acquitted himself quite well, and he played his best in the two biggest games of their season. The Big Ten Championship set the Ohio State single-game rushing record and then, for good measure, topped it off with 254 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown against Clemson. How much has his stock risen just in the month of December alone? A lot, honestly, because coming into the year, I gave him a third-round grade. And then I, I started to kind of look at it, and he just he wasn't a factor. 
He was not a factor for Ohio State. And then all of a sudden in December, he just took off. And he was the player that I expected him to be and even more. And so, I, you know, whether it's second, third round, wherever it is, I was worried that he was going to wind up being a sixth, seventh round pick. And now I think he's going to be a day two pick. Mel, I mean, I'll say this, Phil. I, I think when opportunity arises and you take advantage of it, he was Big 12 freshman of the year at Oklahoma. He was with Baker Mayfield. He was with Kyler Murray. He's with Jalen Hurts. Now he's with Justin Fields. He's been with the quarter. He was recruited by Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, went to Oklahoma. Uh, you know, the production at Oklahoma was outstanding. He had that injury in 2019. He, was, he missed some games. Then he goes to Ohio State. He gets that opportunity, as you say, on the, in the biggest games. I have him right now as the third highest rated running back behind Najee Harris, Alabama, Travis Etienne, Clemson. Then you factor in either Sermon or Javante Williams from North Carolina. I think uh, Trey Sermon right now with his kind of, I mean, the ability to make people miss at 6'1", 215, he caught the ball so effortlessly. Uh, he ran like, like Marshawn Lynch. Uh, the intensity and, and, the, and the athleticism with the way he runs, the production in those games, I think that's enough to say no worse than the second round for Trey Sermon. I know running backs drop a lot further than they should. Uh, look, at those, look at those second round running backs, how they produced this year from you know, Jonathan Taylor to J.K. Dobbins to DeAndre Swift. Uh, so I think second round at the worst, Todd, you might have been right back in all, maybe third round, but he's going to be a good NFL back. Yeah, yeah I know uh, Sproul used to love the player comparisons. It's something that I actually don't love Percy myself because I always feel like some of these players are unicorns, which we'll talk about with Trevor Lawrence in a moment. But maybe it's just me, and maybe it's just recency, but sometimes I see some Kareem Hunt, not quite as adept as a pass catcher as Trey Sermon, but Kareem Hunt, sort of that same style, just powerful but That's also elusive. Um, mm-hmm. I'll try to avoid too contact many player balance. comparisons. Yes, uh, so good. So hard love to bring down upon yep. first contact. One last player from Ohio State worth watching in the uh, national championship game. You know, after an incredible wide receiver rookie class this past year. And for a lot of those guys, they didn't live up to the hype. I think we're going to have a good one again this year, uh, especially at the top. Chris Olave from Ohio State, excellent down the field, Todd. He's a guy that, again, in a condensed season for Ohio State, if you just look at the end-of-year numbers, you're going to be like, he had that many yards in an eight-game maximum season? He's been really good for them from start to finish this year. He has, and he- – he, he knows how to separate, and he separates vertically. It's, you know, a, a lot of the, the throws are posts and post corners and, and those kind of throws that, that he just he knows how to sink his hips and go. And I, I, think, he's, I think he's a really good player. I really do. I, I, think, I think Olave is going to wind up being, you know, somewhere in the first round and, and wind up being a, a good – if he's not the number one wide receiver for an NFL team, he's going to be the number two, and he's going to be a really good starter. And I, I, I just think he keeps getting better and better, and it's, it's been fun to watch his development. Yeah, Ohio State obviously has had a lot of – they've had a lot of everything in terms of prospects recently, but also some good wide receivers in recent drafts, including Darren McLaurin and Paris Campbell and K.J. Hill and others. Uh, Mel, before we get to the number one overall sure. pick, and we'll hear all about Trevor Lawrence for the next few months, people, mm-hmm. so – we promise you that. There's one story that was sort of interesting in a lot of different ways. Tylen Wallace, the Oklahoma State wide receiver, opted out of the bowl game at halftime, uh, which that was the headline, but it's a really compelling story, and this is a player that we talk about that wide receiver class. He's going to be in the mix, maybe not at the top of the board, but he's going to be somewhere in that you know probably day one, day two conversation, I would think, by the time it's all said and done. No question. And, and just uh, to talk about a kid who I gave a bump to, 
for playing in a game. We had opt-outs. We had opt-outs before the season, during the season, at various stages. This kid opted in for the bowl game, had six catches in the first half. He had a 21-0 lead, Oklahoma State did at one point. Went into the half 21-10, ended up winning the game 37-34. Mike Gundy didn't want to put him out there in the second half. They had, well, they had prearranged it, whatever. Mike Gundy said, hey, I, you know, had the Eric King get hurt at the end yeah. of the first, near the end of the first half, the quarterback for Miami. Tylen Wallace in 2019, last year in November, tore his ACL in a non-contact drill in practice, they weren't going to fool here. And I give Gundy credit, and I give Tylen West credit for being out there. The teammates love this kid. He's been productive. But to go out there and play, knowing you had an ACL last year in November, you came back yep. from it, you had a great year, you had 11 catches for 187 yards, you had seven catches, that was against Texas, big game against TCU, pretty much everybody all year. To go out and play in that first half, Todd, I gave him a bump up the board. Yeah, 59 catches. Averaged almost 16 yards a catch, six touchdowns, and he plays at six foot, I think 190, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. He plays like he's 220. I mean, he is, he'll play in the slot, he'll play in the outside, he'll go over the middle. He's competitive, he's tough. I, I love this guy. I, I, to me, he's going to be one of those guys that maybe he goes early in the second round, but he's going to wind up being one of the best players and best receivers definitely from this class yeah it's and again the the decision was scrutinized but it seemed like it came from a like a well-informed thought-out process between Tylen Wallace and Mike Gundy and as Mel mentioned De'Ara King from Miami shredded his knee in the first half of that game like if that doesn't make you think twice about the rest of your college football career and how close you are to earning potentially millions of dollars in the NFL I don't know what would did you um, see the comments after the game field and Todd about them, the players saying, boy, nobody better ever come to me and say he quit, he did this, he that, or I'll yeah. take him one. I'm going to take one. They, those players revere Tylen Wallace. Anybody that no knows question. him and watches him play reveres him and, and just admires the way he plays. Uh, again, I've gotten one. to talk to him, and he, he, he loves the game. Yeah. He's, he's got football IQ, and he loves the game. And I, to me, you know, we've got the Alabama receivers – you know, Jamar Chase, obviously, but Tylen Wallace is probably one of the most underrated players in the country. Yeah, I can't wait to see how the pre-draft process, whatever that looks like, by the way, unfolds for Tylen Wallace. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Uh, and we have to start uh, the draft sort of evaluation with the number one overall pick. We know it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. They finish 1-15. Normally, 1-15 really stings, but when the prize is Trevor Lawrence, you feel really good about it. Now, I think that generational talent's probably one of the most overutilized terms in sports analysis, uh, Mel, because and I know generational what it specifically refers to, but generally speaking, as I looked it up on the internet earlier today, we tend to refer to generations between 20 and 30 year periods. So Trevor Lawrence, calling him a generational talent is probably an easy thing to do, but you've been doing this for over 30 years. <laughs> is Trevor Lawrence a generational talent? And where does he stack up uh, from the John Elways, the Andrew Lux of the world, of some of the best quarterbacks, I guess players, period, that you've ever evaluated? 
Well, I think when you see a kid come from high school to college and you know he's going to go, and I know Stafford coming out of high school, you said, boy, he's going to be a high pick, number one pick. And you knew John Elway, going to be. Peyton Manning, going to be. Okay. Andrew Luck. And all, that, those are what you thought with Trevor Lawrence coming out of high school. Remember, he was 1-1A one with Justin Fields, and Fields is going to be up there as well. But to see Trevor freshman year, semifinal championship, go out there and play like a veteran. Uh, as Todd said, coming in humble and saying, hey, I want to earn it. I just don't want to be given to me. Uh, and then to go out and perform the way he did. They were outmanned up front on both lines, I thought, against Ohio State. Defensive line, they had four new starters on the line. It showed in the Ohio State game. They got after Trevor. They, got, they were disruptive. You saw uh, you know, the offensive line for Ohio State get the best of their front. So I thought up front on both sides, uh, you know, Clemson had a problem. But Trevor, there's no doubt. I said, hey, we said this you know, basically three years ago. Put it in pen. The year he's eligible, which is this year, he's going number one overall. Yeah, and the Jaguars, you know, as I mentioned, they, it's been – there were some who were calling it one of the greatest days in Jaguars history when they clinched the number one overall pick, which, you know, plug a one in 15 year into a different season. And that's not the case, right? Like there've been good years. I remember thinking, I always think back to, and this guy's become a really good player for the chiefs, but Eric Fisher was the number one overall pick. What? 2013, right? Like it's a little bit different. One in 15, when you've got a potential 10 year left tackle starter versus a potential franchise altering quarterback pick uh, with Trevor Lawrence. But, Todd, it's not going to be Trevor Lawrence that just like it's not because they have Trevor Lawrence next year, they're all of a sudden the AFC South favorites. What are the other like major pressing needs that come to mind for Jacksonville? And how do they attack them? They've got all kinds of cap space again. They've got plenty of draft picks. How quickly can they turn this thing around under whoever it is they hire as their general manager and whoever they hire as their head right. coach? Well, like you met, it, I was shocked to read from, from our. Um, sports and information group that it's been 26 years and they've never had the first overall pick. I was shocked. Yeah. And they finally are going to have it. And Trevor Lawrence is the, is the kind of guy that can absolutely turn everything around for him. Now, you know, on the defensive side, they, they could use help at safety. They could use help at linebacker. They need another pass rusher. Um, just off the top of my head, they could use another off- offensive lineman who's competent. You know, they need a lot of things, but when you bring in a guy like Trevor and the way he carries himself, the poise that he has, the confidence that he's coming in with, and the physical tools that he brings, it changes everything. It really does. And he, he's the highest grade I've given to a player going back to, twenty. I think it was 2012 with Andrew Luck. It, like he's that special of a talent, and I, I know there are some throws that he he hasn't made in terms of anticipation over the middle of the field, and you'd like to see some more of it because of of Clemson's offense. But the bottom line is he is so physically gifted, and he is so steady mentally that I, I have I have zero concern that he's going to you know, have any failure in the NFL. Yeah, and I just said how I don't want to do player comparisons. And I'm not comparing him to Justin Herbert as a prospect. I think even though Herbert was amazing this year, he is, Trevor Lawrence, universally regarded as a superior prospect coming into the draft. But Justin Herbert surprised some people this year with how athletic he was because at Oregon they didn't need to tap into that athleticism as much. Trevor had the huge run against Ohio State in the college football playoff last year, but I think the athletic ability beyond all the things he does as a passer and all the things he does as a person, as, as Todd was saying, I mean, the guy is ready to be the face of the franchise right away. 
It's a special, special opportunity for the Jags franchise. And right behind them is the team that everybody was ticketing for the number one overall pick, that being the New York Jets. But they competed down the stretch. They won two games. I would argue it was actually, I believe, they should have competed for those last few games. One way to uh, create a winning culture is to not tank, and the Jets did not do that. Um, Todd, I'm going to get to your thoughts in a second because I know you you said earlier you believe the Jets will be uh, looking to move down from that number two overall pick. So, Mel, maybe the question is, is there a clear-cut number two prospect in this draft? And if so, is it basically a deciding factor between Zach Wilson and Justin Fields? It's Penny Sewell, the tackle from Oregon, mm-hmm. who opted out. But if you go back to, you know, freshman year, flawless, uh, and he missed some games that year with the high ankle sprain. And, you know, 2019, doesn't allow a sack, doesn't allow a, a, what, one or two quarterback hits. He's, he's been, I, I wouldn't say perfect, but he's been close to it. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at him, you put, you say, okay, would he look good in a jet uniform? Sure. Makai Becton, Sewell, great, bookends. But Cincinnati Bengals desperately need Penny Sewell for Joe Burrow to keep him upright and healthy and coming off that knee. So I think you go from five to two. The Jets go down from two to five. You're going to get Smith or Chase in that move down. They're not going to both be gone, I don't think, by five. And just Bengals are happy going from five to two to guarantee Penny Sewell. And there the Jets sit at the fifth pick, Todd. So I think that would be a good deal. If, if Justin Fields is somebody people want to move, if Fields you know, does well against Alabama despite the injury, we'll see how that plays out. But I think Sewell for Cincinnati just makes an awful lot of sense. So, by, by the way, the, the, one of my favorite parts about Sewell, he's 20. He's 20 years old. He's gonna like, and and if you see him move at all, you're just like, I I don't know. I mean, I, I, third comparison. This is my last one. 330 pounds. I was gonna say, moves, like, and he moves better 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 than I do when it's I wake up in the morning. I mean, I know no Mel had a first you know row seat to Jonathan Ogden, who I, I I'm not I'm not sure I've ever seen a player move at at his ability and his size, but like Sewell just does some crazy stuff for a guy that's six six and three thirty. So, Mel, you're saying you are sort of forecasting the possibility of trading down. Todd said the same thing. So, Todd, I'll start with you here, and I'll get your thoughts on the trade down, too. seems like both of you are advocating for the Jets to run it back here with Sam Darnold, who, a guy that just three years ago was the third overall pick in the draft. So there was believers in the NFL at that time that Sam could be a franchise guy. Are you guys still believers that there's a chance for him to unlock that, Todd? I I think he is. I, I really do. I think they just have to get players around him and I, I you know I, I know Joe Douglas and I, I obviously played with him in college and, and we have a, a good relationship but I know that he grew up in, in the Ozzie Newsome you know organization with the Ravens and he if, if it's not going to be Trevor Lawrence it's going to be moved down if possible and if not let's Let's protect the guy and get guys around the player that we think could be our franchise. And I, they, I think they like Sam. I, I think that they would view Trevor as a potential um, upgrade, but I, I, I think that they view Sam as good enough to build around. And that's what they have to do. They've got, I think, four first-round picks in the next two years. Mm-hmm. It's I think thirteen picks in the first three rounds of the next two years like they can build an entire organization in two years of the draft Mm -hmm. and I think that's exactly what Joe Douglas is going to do and especially as you were saying Todd if you trade down from two we know that if you go even if it's from two to five that could be that could be three extra picks 
Yep. Exactly. And they already exactly. had eight picks in the first five rounds right now. I think it's eight in the first five this year. So uh, that's if you can get ten, that's that's an awful lot of talent coming in around the quarterback you already have. So who's, if you, who's you're talented forward, enough to be successful? He really yeah, he's shown is. that. Yeah, he's shown it. And and the thing that's unfortunate with with how you beat these young quarterbacks up and you just realize how young Sam Darnold still is and the fact he's dealing with an offensive line that they're trying to build up. Running back, no star running back. Receivers, tight end, no factor. Receivers that, you know, Robbie Anderson moves on. It's Jamison Crowder. Braxton Berrios is becoming a key. I mean, come on. So, again, I think you got to surround. You can't criticize quarterbacks who don't have things around them. The criticism of Wentz I thought was ridiculous. The criticism of Darnold, ridiculous. He's shown when he gets some help that he can play at a high level. Uh, he's good friends with Josh Allen. Josh Allen's already set the bar for these guys. Great. I think Sam will be in that division with Tua and Josh, and we're going to have some great rivalries with these quarterbacks moving forward in the AFC East. I try to remind people of this recently is that we on the outside, and I'm definitely guilty of this, of the idea of just like moving on is so simple on its surface, right? You trade Sam Darnold, you get a second round pick, you use that to add it to your stockpile of draft assets, but when you're with someone every day and you're trying to build something, like you make a personal investment in them, and you also see the really good, which may not always be easy to see during a 2-14 and 14 season as the Jets had. Uh, Todd, trading down, as I just mentioned, it could we'll see how this all unfolds if it ever happens, but it could mean several additional picks. I know we're early January, but the early sense on this draft, is this a draft where moving from 2-5, to five, if you're not in the quarterback market, is going to not cost you like – you know, last year, if Washington moves down from two to five, they miss out on Chase Young. It's not worth it. Right. Is this one of those drafts where there is enough really good talent, but nobody that's so elite that if they were missing out on that player, it could have like franchise altering disasters? I I think the the play is to move down. Panay Sewell, yes, you, you would love to have him, but there's still Rashawn Slater, the offensive tackle from Northwestern, mm-hmm. who I think is going to be a really good starting center or guard in the NFL wide receivers so deep in this class when you look at Devontae Smith we talked about uh, Jamar Chase you've got you've got both the uh, uh, the Alabama wide receivers there's so much talent at wide receiver and offensive line that I think moving down and getting extra picks is the move for the Jets and that's the thing. I think if you go to five and you say Miami takes Devontae Smith, Sewell goes two, then yep. you got Chase in that four spot. You know, you really don't think Atlanta at that particular point. So you, if you want the receiver, you can probably still well, get if, if one Sewell there. Doesn't, Sewell might not go at two because the team might be moving up to get a quarterback. Sure. Right. Yeah. So he yeah. could move down to four or five, you know, legitimately. So like you might still get him if you, if you make a move with Cincinnati to, to move back to five. Yeah. It's really, that interesting. would, that would shock me if he dropped to five. I mean, Penny soul, I, I can't, Todd, I can't see it. I can't see a left tackle. So critical right or left tackle. These guys so critical. Uh, just, I got to believe just quarterback. Mel. It's just quarterback. Right. Yeah, well, it's it, it just an interesting way yeah. that the board has yeah. shaped out, yeah. as we know. Uh, yeah. We now, yeah, I mentioned we have the top 18 picks in the draft so far. So let's get to a mock draft preview, Todd, because this does help sort of bring some clarity to what we're discussing right now. Uh, the top 10 picks, uh, top 15 picks, I believe you've done the top 15 in your mock. Did you do the first 18 or did you do the whole 32? I have the top 15 already in my possession, so I know those 15. But um, I've got that. Uh... <laughs> 
I've got I'm I'm up to 19 now. Okay, so you're at 19 <laughs> as we're having this conversation. But um, the top 10 picks, just for those that maybe have not familiarized it themselves uh, themselves with it so far: Jaguars, Jets, the Dolphins from the Texans in the Laramie Tunsil trade. The Falcons at four, Bengals at five, Eagles at six, Lions at seven, Panthers eight, Broncos nine, Cowboys ten. So that's the first ten picks. As you look at your top ten, Todd, who was the player that you struggle with or the pick that you struggle with the most in terms of both sort of the value and the fit? Oof, good question. Um, I think like would Zach Cincinnati Wilson come there? Because I think, I think they're going to move up. Okay. I think they're going to move up, and I think the Jets are, Jets are going to move down. So I, kind of, I, I struggled with that. And then Atlanta was definitely the, the pick that I struggled the most with. And it not only was it quarterback or a different position, but was it Zach Wilson or, or Justin Fields? Mm-hmm. And that was really the struggle. Because if, if it's not Justin Fields at, at, um, at four, then, then he's going to wind up dropping a little bit and there's going to be a team that's going to move up and go get them and i understand that but there's not like you, you look at all the, these other teams that i i don't think the eagles are going to take a, a quarterback even though they've they've had struggles i dallas i i don't know i don't know what's going on with that what about the lions Todd? his health yeah the, there's there are a few teams where i i could have plugged them in but i felt best kind of moving them down and putting them with, with the Patriots for now. Yeah, Detroit, Carolina are some of those teams that, like, yep. they're kind of straddling the line now with their quarterback. Right, exactly, that really good. exactly. And, uh, Bridgewater, obviously, is, you know, he to me, he's like the perfectly average starting NFL quarterback. Not going to be the reason why you're a dominant team, but also going to keep exactly. you in some games. Uh, but we got a lot of time before we get to mm-hmm. uh, April 29th when the draft will be held, as of right now, from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, it's, I, I just it, – it just – Boggles my mind every time I look at the top of the draft and I see Miami Dolphins picking third, especially if the Dolphins had made the playoffs. They did not, but still an incredible year of turnaround for them at 10-6. and six. So, uh, Todd, the Dolphins have the Texans pick third overall. Um, what do you think is their most glaring need right now? Understanding, as I always have to remind people, the NFL, uh, a league where the draft is held after free agency. I don't. I don't think their biggest need is wide receiver. But why wouldn't you take Devonte Smith mm. and 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 put him with the quarterback that he knows, and, and get that going again with Tua to Devonte? You know, I I don't. It just makes a lot of sense to me. I, I'm not sure that that's what they they will wind up doing. And and I, I've this is the first time in probably. 20 years that I feel like their structure with their coaching staff and Chris Greer and, and you know, their, their front office. And it just feels like they're the right kind of organization and, and taking a wide receiver at number three overall, does, you know, it really doesn't play out well if you look at the history of it. Yeah. But I just think that he would make so much sense considering the year that he's had, how, how he stepped up, the way he plays, and the relationship that he has with Tua, I, I don't know. I, I just think it, it would be a good fit. You know, Mel, do you think the fact that this is a pick they weren't planning on per se, like it was a first-round pick the entire time when they traded Laramie Tunsil to Houston, but I can't imagine Miami thought this pick was going to be third overall. Do you think it's possible that because of how the things fell in their favor, they might be more willing to address need versus value? Because as Todd's point, you know, 
unless you're like Julio Jones, like we haven't seen a ton of guys amongst the wide receivers go in the top five that have always proven to be worth it. Yeah, and I think the defense, you know, they, they've made so the defense, scoring defense, they were with the Buffalo game. They were doing great. And then the Josh Allen got hot after he threw the interception early. They had a punt return by Isaiah McKenzie, and it got out of hand, okay, when Tua's throwing the picks and all that. But seven selections in the first four rounds this year for Miami, for the Dolphins. Wide receivers have transitioned so well. Todd, did you see it in field the last three years? I mean, you're about DJ Moore going back to Calvin Ridley and that those group of second yeah. rounders. Michael Gallup went in the third. Last year was incredible. Even the year prior to that, those were some McLaurin in the third round, some of the guys thereafter. But last year was sensational. So I think you get a, a Devontae Smith. You don't worry about it. You got all those other picks. Uh, you need a weapon there. I mean, Preston Williams got hurt. You have Devontae Parker and some other guys. But the bottom line is, if two, and I, I really believe Tua will be better. I think that hip injury, he was only less than a year removed from that surgery. I got to believe he'll show better next year uh, than he did this year when everybody seemed to be wanting his Tua. Really the guy? Yeah, I think he is, uh, but he will be better. And a weapon like Devontae Smith that he's so familiar with, uh, that synergy that they have is going to be a big plus getting that production right away and getting that impact right away. So I think it's, I would say, a no-brainer. But Devontae Smith, the three for Miami, maybe makes too much sense. As we are having this conversation, by the way, Chris Greer and Brian Flores, the uh, Dolphins head coach and GM, uh, are meeting with the media or have met with the media in Miami, and Chris Greer made it very clear, Tua's our guy for 2021, which has been one of those debates over the past 48 hours about whether or not uh, they needed to consider a quarterback with that third pick. Uh, so Devontae Smith, as you mentioned, Todd, throughout the show, he's your number one wide receiver. You mentioned that Miami would be the number one landing spot, but if you were to slide past Miami at pick three, is there a second landing spot that you think just makes so much sense that the team would, if they could right now, Without even go through the process, would say, give us that player right now. I think the Eagles would make a lot of sense. Mm. You know, sitting at six, I've I've got them taking Micah Parsons, the Penn State linebacker, but that would make a lot of sense to me. Uh, and then D- Detroit at number seven, mm-hmm. and I, in this mock draft, I've got I've got Jamar Chase going there, the LSU wide receiver who opted out this year, but. Yeah, I mean, those are the two teams that I think really need wide receiver help. What if the Jets and... go from two to five, Todd? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, it, I mean, yes, the... I yes, I agree. Yeah. I mean, they they absolutely they they need offensive line and wide receiver more than anything. They need a lot. And they have a lot of picks, so they can fix it all. But they need offensive line and wide receiver more than anything. If they if, if they're not getting Trevor Lawrence, which they're not, so that that that's it. Yeah, well, it'd be, I just can't wait to see how this entire wide receiver class stacks up once we get to the running portion of the combine, whenever we have pro days, etc. A full mock draft from Todd will be out on Thursday on ESPN.com. I know Todd loves getting into mock draft season. Uh, but we pivot yeah, from – Yeah, and it's time. How many how many editions are we going to have this year? Any idea? Like, are we going over, under, uh, eight? Mel, Mel, you tell me. Five. Mel, Mel always knows. Five. Five's a good number. Five's yep. a good number? But I think five, five's the over, under. Okay, five's the yeah, – I'm going – I'm pounding the over on that. We'll have, like, a version 3.2, <laughs> version 4.1, 4.4. Uh, let's, right. Let's pivot now to Mel's minute. So, Mel, we're going to put a minute on the clock here, and we're going to let you kind of just wax poetic on a player that a couple of years ago you were particularly excited about – and it took some time, but he has more than made it all worth that, of course, being Josh Allen for the Buffalo Bills. What a season he has had. 
He has, and I've kind of I'm not a I'm not a lawyer, but I've kind of been a defense attorney for the last three years trying to defend Josh. He's had more haters than anybody in the league, mm-hmm. and it's so unfair. And Todd's dealt with it. Todd liked him coming. I mean, it's such. I mean, some of the things you hear after his rookie year, after last year, and I thought last year he made a monumental leap in a lot of ways. Even in their playoff game, he made some real good plays there. He had him up sixteen to nothing. Even he got the field goal to get it into overtime, and the defense didn't get it done there. And Houston won the game. Uh, yeah, he made a couple mistakes. But they all do. He's a young second-year quarterback. But to see the way he's improved, and I, I just love the kid. I love his attitude. Love the way he plays. He's Buffalo all the way. Bills Mafia. Everybody loves Josh Allen uh, and his whole per- completion percentage. I'll give you a real quick. I got, I got a minute. I got, I got 20 seconds left. Jamarcus Russell had a higher completion percentage in his career than Matthew Stafford. Tony Easton had a higher completion percentage than Jim Kelly and Dan Marino. Uh, Todd Marinovich had a higher completion percentage than Brett Favre did. Okay, Josh Rosen had a higher completion percentage than Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. Christian Ponder, higher completion percentage than Matt Ryan. Alex Smith over Aaron Rodgers. Mitchell Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Do I need to go any further? Okay. I love you, Kuiper. Yeah, well, hey, is, is there somebody, Mel, this year that you think is currently being underappreciated that will exceed yes. maybe draft Twitter's expectations? Who's that? I'm going to go a minute, Todd, and I'll give you your guy. I'm going to go Elijah Moore. I love Elijah Moore at Ole Miss. I love slot receivers in this league can take it over. Uh, they always talk about, you know, Bill Belichick said, you got to win the middle of the field. The middle of the field, that's the old with Edelman and Amadol and all those guys. Elijah Moore will win. I mean, diminutive dynamo as I love the production. He's from St. Thomas Aquinas High School. Okay, Michael Irvin. You look at the, the Joey and Nick Bosa, Gio Bernard, Gino Atkins, uh, the Lamarcus Joyner, James White. Uh, you think about what he did at Ole Miss. Uh, how Lane Kiffin raves about this kid. Um, I'm going Elijah Moore, wide receiver, Ole Miss, as a guy who is tremendously undervalued. I don't know where you have him, Todd. But I would think he's going to play like a first-rounder once he's in the NFL. You might have beat the horn there, by the way. How about that? By 15 <laughs> seconds, pretty impressive. That, that's I'm efficient shocked. I, I kept waiting. More I, know. I, like I, think, I, I think I was – Todd, do you agree or disagree with my Elijah, Elijah Moore commentary here? I agree. I, I, I think he really came on this year. I, I think he's going to be – in my mock draft, he's, he's going to be somewhere between 20 and 32. I haven't, you know, I, I haven't put them all together yet, but he's he's in there. Funny to think that Ole Miss could potentially have a first round wide receiver who's five nine, one hundred and eighty pounds, and the two freaks who are six four and two thirty running four fours, AJ Brown and DK Metcalf slide to the second round. But hey, the world of football valuation is sometimes interesting. So, um, you want to give Todd a minute too, Daniel? Is that what I'm being told? No, if you want to, you guys want to banter back and forth. So we got a few minutes left here in the show and. Part of what makes you guys what you are is your dynamic with each other, your uh, back-and-forth debates. Is there anything that comes to mind right now in the early portion of the pre-draft process, Mel Kuyper, that sort of has you uh, simmering a little bit or maybe has you a little bit fired up about what's taking place and what could take place for the next four and a half months here? I am fascinated already by the debate that's going to take place, Todd, with Zach Wilson, BYU, and how he ranks against the other quarterbacks after Trevor Lawrence. I mean, here's a I kid. totally agree. Here's a guy that early on you saw the talent, but you saw the sacks he's taken. You saw the fumbles. You saw the mistakes. Uh, the lack of shoulder great inter- injury. The yeah, the injury. shoulder surgery. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then he comes back, and he gets bigger, gets stronger. Then you watched him this year against Cupcake. I said his sugar levels are through the roof. He's got cupcake <laughs> after cupcake after cupcake after cupcake, Todd. And then you got Justin Fields playing against all these elite opponents. How do you how do you reconcile the schedule and Justin Fields? Okay, what did I say wrong? Elite opponents. Yeah, I would say I would say Clemson's an elite opponent. Yeah, okay, one. All right. One. I would say Northwestern's got a pretty good defense. Yeah, yes, yes. But that's it. Now, he did struggle in that game, but Northwestern with Pat and, Fitzgerald, and he, and he that's did. pretty and good he defense. Threw three right? picks against I agree, Indiana. but he at least played them. Like, Zach Wilson played I, nobody, and against Coastal Carolina, he wasn't awesome in that game. I'm just saying, Todd, you I know, know. If, if you put Justin Fields against those opponents, all I'm saying, Zach Wilson to me and the Justin Fields debate, in a word, I, is fascinating. I completely agree, I, I'm, I, and I struggle with it. I really do because it's really hard to evaluate this year with the the, the amount of games and, and the opponents that they played. Who's better? You know, like Justin Fields I think can be better than than Wilson, but I think Wilson played better this year, and I'm, I'm really struggling. And then you know we get I, I'm I'm looking at my mock draft right now. I, I've got Wilson going four to a, to Atlanta. And I've got Fields sitting at 15 to the Patriots. And I, I know for a fact that both of these guys are going to wind up going in the top 10. I mean, there's, there's no question. They're high-level quarterbacks, and teams are going to trade up, and they're going to go get them. Seafield, the more he talks, the, the, the more you talk, the more you're going to change that by Thursday. You're going to have Fields <laughs> up there. So if you if you think it's going to happen, why? I always do. See, to Field, I got to show why I'm 60 and why he's 40. Well, well, because well, yeah, if you, I listen I, to Todd McShay you, and I say, Todd, listen to your own words. Kiper, you What's make that? the rules. You started this whole thing, so you make the rules. And I'm about not no trades. To, I'm not allowed to project trades and all that stuff. You don't so. need any to get Fields in the top 10. Okay, you don't need trades to get him in there. We mentioned the teams that could take him. Uh, yeah, if you don't, th- he always. I don't think he has any way he's dropping. Why are you putting him there then? Yeah, put him up there. Get him up where you think he's going to go. I'm trying to save you from looking bad. <laughs> now, as you don't ever have to save time. me from anything, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it is one instance. It's one instance, and and yeah, you guys said, I, yeah, you know, I, I'm not done yet. I'm I I, I sent in a, an er, an early mock. Preliminary I'm version. Yet. I'm trying to. I'm trying to figure it all out. Everyone, relax. Take a deep breath. We'll figure it out. So I we always use this pod, We use this podcast field to amend his mocks. Like, <laughs> let him. Let him have. What do you call it? Like, but use it in pencil. Don't put it. Put them in pencil now. So yeah. yeah. So we'll, I'm actually see where he's going to put. Uh, let me, put let Justin me just Fields. chip away at it for a minute. Okay. That's okay. it. Mock drafts always kind of remind I, I, me. I also, you know, I, I don't sit in the Kuiper compound. And just chill every day. I, you know, I'm traveling. I get some stuff going on. I'm here. I'm there. I got my I, 16 know, monitors going every Saturday. He, I'm watching <laughs> McShay on one monitor. I'm watching. Hey, I'm watching all these games. Field. He's got the life. He goes to these games. I'm oh, sitting I've here. I've got the life. You got I've the got life, the boy. Life. Hanging out, I, hey, uh, at stadiums, at, you're, you're you're there interviewing, you're there telling me stories it. about all these I, prospects. I, I you're one on one, you're giving one on one, you know, interviews with with prospects and coaches. Yeah, but I'm not I'm not sitting around with Kim Kuiper, you know, giving me an allowance and 
everything nice and easy. I, I, I've got to travel a little. See, Todd's got a pretty good life, as we said. He's in Dallas right now. Looking forward to the college football. He's vacationing uh, in Dallas. I mean, come on. Yeah, vacationing. Yeah, vacationing this time of year, especially in Dallas. In this world, and you go by South right Fork. Now, if you if you're in Dallas, you got to check out South Fork Ranch. Where the Ewings, you know, back with Dallas, the TV show, late 70s into the 80s, 78 to about I, I've 89. I've never been. You've never been? I, Check I, out South Fork I, when you're down there, Todd. Okay. Don't leave Dallas without going to South Fork. You've got homework yeah. on your final days down there in Dallas, Todd. So Todd's full mock draft will be out on Thursday. I was in the grassy knoll early this morning, though. There you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Mel, you have a, you have a, uh, a column coming out soon. It's uh, You're taking on the biggest draft-related questions ahead of the college football playoff title game, which is, of course, Monday night, Ohio State and Alabama. And for those that are new here, we appreciate you joining us. For those that are returning uh, listeners, do us a favor, if you could. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And we'll be back here every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, guys, I'm going to go study some tape of myself to figure out what I can do better so I can avoid uh, – yeah, how did I do that? I, I, have you guys decided uh, – if you We guys will have you back next week. Okay, that's all I need. Yeah, well, you, I'm a you week made it to week. week two, right, Todd? Okay. <laughs> week by week basis. I'm, I, I'm here to be we a week, yep, week by week. That's a good way to live my life these days. So uh, it's a good way to live my existence here on the First Draft Podcast as well. Good catching up with you guys. We'll do it again next week. It's been fun.